Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is a guest on here every week because he has good stuff to talk about. So, Sean, let's, uh, let's talk about this week. Here we have we have seen the uh, the bullish trend that, that we have uh, been talking about here for a while on this, but it's feels like it's built on a uh, a house built on on the sand here because it's it's uh it's all based on Chinese buying. So as soon as the Chinese stop buying, then we start looking at the uh, January February time frame when um, they would typically be buying from uh, South America, Brazil, and Argentina. Uh, we could see a drop off in in buying and you know what goes on with the pricing then so i guess talk about that a little bit and what you see happening there well um you know predicting chinese buying is very difficult as you know right. uh it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes and usually you know if they're going to buy stuff that do like to buy at this time of the year so it's not that them buying this time of the year is a surprise it's just that they they came you know they they bought at a very high, uh, high end, uh, and surprised everybody. And and quite frankly, they did it at a time that we were harvesting and our supplies weren't quite ready yet. And it just kind of overran the market. Um, at a time that the dollar was weak, we're getting some inflationary pressures. Uh, speculators were, uh, you know, gotten a little more excited about putting some money into the whole commodity space. And so then you got momentum. The algorithms, you know, kind of jump on board and, and so you get it you, I mean, by the way you know, we were we were bullish in August as you know we were expecting right. a pretty you know good rally into the fall and we've gotten that but but certainly you know one has to be a little cautious we're we've put a lot of expectation here and as much as you know a lot of people are, are claiming that uh, some of the move here is because of the weather in South America it's way way too early to make any the, the biggest thing I've been reading uh, it's all well the uh, soybean uh, crop progress, planting progress in Brazil is way behind in Mato Grosso, which is the key state for soybeans. And so you go, okay, let's see. There were 9% uh, planted last week versus 16%, but now we're getting some good rains, which is, you know, they're finally getting some rains in that area, which, you know, the way I understand planting these days, they really want to do it. I mean, they're getting an all-time record high price down there right now. Um, I think they'll be back to normal in a couple of weeks, if not even ahead of normal. And I don't buy into this whole, oh, the crop's going to be real delayed uh, in harvest and so, and, and, and uh, exports are going to be delayed. I, I don't think any of that can be ascertained right now. If, if they get, get on with it, they can catch up really quick, and, and maybe we'd be talking about a week or two delay in uh, soybean harvest in Brazil, but that's not going to make any difference. So I think people are making up stories, uh, uh, Casey, you know, to try to – to try to explain the move when, the, when quite frankly, it's simply the Chinese overrunning the market with their purchases. If they weren't purchasing like they are, 
you know, prices were would be considerably lower, higher than they were in August, but considerably lower. So let's call it for what it is. This is a Chinese buying bid rally, um, and uh, at some point, uh, the market is going to factor that in, or the or the or the Chinese, as you said, Casey, is going to back off. They're going to cancel some orders. Who knows? But all of a sudden, you know, there's going to be a question mark that maybe this demand was front and loaded, and on the backside they just pull away, and, and we've overestimated the actual demand coming from them and so we have to be very careful you know just remember a few months back there's not a person out there who thought they're going to buy anything right and now everyone's yep. an expert that they know they're going to continue to buy they don't know anything no. they don't know anything <laughs> they don't know any- i yeah. don't know what they're going to do casey i right. don't know what they're going to do yep. but my suspicion is they're going to pull away from the market here for too long so i, I barely think the chinese know what they're going to do it's just because they're <laughs> There. It's, and it's hard to know. Is it is it politically driven right now? Mm-hmm. Is it because of the phase one trade deal? Are they getting ready for a currency devaluation and they're, that's why they're buying a lot? Do they have food shortages? I mean, I know they had some definitely some difficult weather. The reality is we have no information that we can rely on coming out of China. Zero. It's all speculation. We don't get any information from them that we can rely on. And even you know the USDA really can't say the truth there either. So we're left... What I call it's a black box. We're just left to speculate about what the truth is. So the, the truth is, it's probably a combination of all these things. But but at the end of the day, you know, we don't think that um, the kind of purchases that they're making right now are sustainable. I guess is what I'm getting at. So. Yep. So let's talk about cotton for a minute. Cotton broke through the seventy cent mark yesterday. They're up around seventy one oh four. We had Hurricane Delta come through that did kind of laid, I don't know, it, it came at probably a, a pretty bad time. Um, if they What they didn't have harvested was in the field, and what was in the field in bales, you know, got soaked with rain. So I guess talk about what you see happen in the cotton market. You know, the cotton market has just, every step of the way, weather has just chipped and chipped. They had, Texas was extremely hot uh, and extremely dry earlier in the season that clipped the crop. You had three hurricanes go through the deep south in a lot of uh, cotton areas. The last one, of course, occurring when open bowls were wide open and a lot of cotton that was harvested was sitting out in the outdoors in, uh, in storage bins waiting to be processed. And so, you know, it just, they keep chipping away at the supply. They keep chipping away at the quality. Uh, now we're getting some potential for some mild uh, uh, frost conditions in certain Texas areas, you know, yeah. for a little while. And, you know, once again, it just keeps chipping and chipping. And so the market keeps ratcheting up because it keeps getting a reason that the supplies, we haven't gotten to, the, to, to where the supplies are yet. So usually once the hurricane season ends um, and we factor all it in and, you know, you, you reach some kind of a, a uh, blow-off top or a crescendo, I think that's what we're going through now, this final, final thrust tire on this last bit of weather that the market was – not expecting to occur to price in the high and then the market uh, you know starts to work its way down after because because look I don't you know I, I don't think we're gonna have a, a raging booming global economy and, and certainly food uh, uh, while food purchases are a necessity buying a lot of clothes not necessarily a necessity and so demand for cotton I think is going to be you know lackluster and so these kind of prices are going to stimulate substantial increase in global acres and so the market is kind of pricing a lot of this in right now and so we'd be a little worried that 
this final surge might be the last part of this move that's been going on all summer long. So, yep. All right. So wheat conditions uh, right now, and you start looking at what's going on out there. You know, wheat has been a a leader in a lot of ways, um, getting things going because there's a lot of dryness in about any place that grows wheat, which is everywhere. <laughs> so, so if you look at you look what's going on in, in the wheat belt in uh, in Kansas and um, the Dakotas, I mean, it's just it's just hot and dry. Um, moving into some uh, some winter weather that's coming in here this week um, over the weekend, and and you take a look what's going on in Russia and the Black Sea. It's just dry, 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 dry. And I've read several reports. I sent you one that I about the other day that you know the uh, climatologist from the University of Nebraska was talking about if we get this normal um, rain or normal um, moisture uh, during the winter months here, uh, we'll still be behind because we didn't get enough what we for we had. So as you look at wheat and what we see going through the winter months into spring. Um, doesn't bode very well for what's going on there. So what's your thoughts on wheat? Well, you know, you know, Casey, winter wheat's been one of our top uh, markets to be focused on during this increased weather volatility period that we've been expecting to see. To put things into perspective, uh, the crop conditions in Kansas, for example, num- the number one state for growing Kansas City winter wheat um, is the lowest rated crop for this time of the year since 1985, just to put that out there. Um, the Russian wheat uh, crop is the driest planting season for winter wheat in Russia uh, in 50 years, just to put that into perspective. So we have a disaster on our hands because we're, gonna, we're, put, we're going into this dormancy season with horrific condi- uh, poor conditions, terrible establishment. Um, and all, and, and when, a, when, a, when, a, uh, when a wheat crop goes into dormancy in a weakened condition, it's, it's extremely more sensitive and vulnerable to even a mild winter kill event, meaning it can't even withstand a mild winter kill event should you get one. Um, you know, we're not anticipating a, a long cold winter, but we are expecting a short cold winter. And so all it takes, Casey, is one shot at the wrong time when there's no snow cover and you could cause additional damage over the winter months before you even come out of dormancy and have what we expect is going to be a very hot, dry, classical La Nina amplification from the solar grand solar cycle minimum in both regions, it, it just it's just to put this uh, in a perspective. The last time we had a setup like this, the Russian wheat crop, uh, I believe in 2010-11, was down uh, 35%. Uh, we don't think they're going to be able to plant 15 to 20% of the crop just because there's not enough moisture to even plant it, and I'll, and probably 20 or 25% of the crop. That they did plant either won't establish or it'll establish in very poor condition. So they are setting up, Casey, for a crop that could be down 30 to 50%, depending on exactly how dire the spring conditions are into the early summer. So, you know, of course, that's that's out there. You know, that's not tomorrow. I mean, that's late spring, summer, but we're setting up for a significant shortage in wheat. And so the question is, how much does a market should is the market willing to price in now? Uh, and how long and, 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 you know, and, and when will it kind of take a back seat and wait for the spring conditions to come to make its final determination? Because it is a ways away. There is plenty of wheat available now. Um, and of course, it comes, also comes out to what will, um, what will Russia do? If they really know their crops in big trouble, they're just going to uh, uh, ban exports. Just say we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're 
we're calling on fall exports, no more exports for anybody because we're for, we want to keep the rest of the week for ourselves. I mean, we don't know how all this is going to play out, but this is a big, big fundamental story. And we always say as week goes, so go the grain complex. I mean, it's the number one market that really, if, if it gets into a tight supply in a bullish mode, it, it is really what creates the big overall grain market surges in, in, the, in the past. So, so we really keep an eye on winter wheat uh, because we think it's really setting up for an historical fundamental weather a supply a shock event going forward. And so we're, we're the, the, the thing about 2010-11, that was really not a planting drought. That was a spring summer drought that caused that big problem. We're going to get, we're getting this planting drought and we're going to get that spring summer drought combined, which we didn't get in 2010-11. So it's really kind of unprecedented, quite frankly. It's quite unprecedented yeah. to see both happen in the same year. So so we're very, very, um, you know, we'd be very, very uh, mindful of that market as a trigger for the grains and and for something there to go on pretty um, pretty wild here, you know, to the upside potentially. Yep. So. Okay, so your latest report came out and you talked about some different uh, – uh, buy signals from your smart money, uh, buy signals that you see coming up, and sell signals and those kind of things. And you are talking about, you had a podcast that you put out as well about that. So talk about that report and what you see happening there. Well, <clears throat> we put this uh, podcast out because um, to our subscribers because we, uh, we've, been, we've been suggesting that we're going to go through a phase transition in grain markets. We've been, call, we've been talking about this for quite a few years that this period from late 2020 into 22, a phase transition means, Casey, going from one price level to an order of magnitude higher. So going from, you know, $2.5 corn to $7 corn in, in 2006 to 2008 was a phase transition. Going from $3 corn to $8 corn between 2009 and 2011-12 was a phase transition. Going from, you know, $1 corn to $4 corn between 1971 and 1973 was a phase transition. We believe we're, we're going to go through a phase transition over this next couple of years. Um, and what we're... Uh, what we wanted to do in this podcast is provide some benchmarks or some signposts that people could watch and follow to determine, is it underway yet or are we still in the building phases? So far, what we think, Casey, is we've begun uh, the first move up, but that we're still in the building, the developing phase of this phase transition that we think is going to start in the spring and then really, really, you know, take off into the, into the spring of 2022. But, um, one of the most important things to follow is the KC winter wheat market, like we just spoke of. And there's a chart we showed that we've broken the 10-year downtrend line. So, so KC wheat has been in a downtrend for 10 years. Yes, it has. Um, and the last week, we finally broke through that downtrend, which means we've now begun a, a multi-year uptrend. Um, and the $6 level, so you know, if you look at the $6 level, we've bumped our head against six quite a few times over the last uh, five to 10 years. Um, and it, 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 when the KC wheat market is ready to break through six and you see that breakout take place and confirm, you will have a good indication that this phase transition in grains and in wheat is, is, is starting to, um, is starting to take place. It's, it's really a very, I mean, there's a lot of things we talk about in the, in the podcast, but, but that's, is a simple thing to look at that anyone can pull up a chart of KC wheat and follow and monitor for themselves 
please pay attention to the $6 KC weed area. We think that's going to be the key litmus test for when this phase transition of grains is about to, to take off. Our best guess right now is we're going to, we're going to, we're expecting a pause um, after, you know, to talk, try to absorb this move. And that we're, we think we'll be more ready to do that once we get closer to, you know, late winter, spring, but it's possible it could, it could go right now, you know, and, and it's, it's not up to us to, to, I'll guess that we're just looking for the, the markers to tell us when it's about to take place. But that's certainly uh, one good indication for when this outlook that we have is about ready to go. And, you know, if you look back at the phase transition, Casey, we hit, you know, nine or 10 bucks back in, in 2010 on 12 and, you know, hit, I think I actually hit intraday uh, $12 in 2008. So, you know, those would be areas that one on a chart would say, you know, maybe are possible if we really break this thing out and we get into one of these dynamic uh, phase transition moves that uh, periodically we do when we get the right conditions all coming together at the same time, which it looks to us like we're doing right now. So. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's good news. Good news for the wheat grower. Um, and But there's still a long ways to go before the wheat crop comes yeah. out. So there's yeah. a lot of things that happen, especially with, uh, I mean, like this weekend here, we're supposed to have... Uh, supposed to be like 90 degrees for lows uh in the single digits and we're you know we've got some snow coming but it's not i don't know how much but it's not going to be not going to be a lot a lot to speak of so it'll be interesting to watch the weather this week you know what happens especially with this money sugar beets are still in the ground um it's hard freeze coming so it's going to be going to be interesting how that plays out we'll have something to talk about next week when we look at well you know uh you know sugar beets got clipped uh, with a with a freeze uh uh, you know, a year ago, I guess it was. Yes, it was. So, yeah. You know, man. About the same time. <laughs> Deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was Remember, a, we're, we're already importing sugar, as you know, which is really yeah. unusual, and we're, we're importing it. So we, we don't need another short sugar beet crop, I'll tell you that. No, so. this will be. Uh, they've had a chance to get quite a few of them out here just because of the way the weather's been of late, but there's still quite a bit out there, and it's yeah. going to freeze them. So. We'll see what happens there. All right, let's talk about the cattle market real quick, and we'll close things down. Um, the cattle market has had its fair ups here over the last uh, week and a half or so, but it's been pretty volatile. So talk about what's going on in, in the in the cattle market. It seems like for every day it's up, there's a, at least a, a third of the time that it goes back down. So talk about talk about what you see happening there. And the biggest problem that we have for the cattle market is we're just we just don't believe domestic demand is going to hold up uh, this holiday season when the demand is you know needs to be strong. We we, we know looking at the uh, cattle on feed report, there's just a ton of animals waiting in the wings. Uh, the weights are way up. We think demand's going to struggle. And and remember, if we're going into a big phase transition in feed prices, yeah, it's never good for. Yeah. Cattle prices because it leads to herd liquidation because you say I, you know, feeding eight dollar corn to my animal doesn't work very well. Right. Yeah. So the the big bull market in livestock tends to be after the phase transition's over and the prices come back down. So if you remember when we had the 10, 11, 12 surge, you know hogs and cattle prices struggled, and then thirteen, fourteen we had a parabolic move because there were no animals coming to the market. We liquidated everything. The the, the animals being retained to rebuild the herd. And then demand was strong. So this is just not a good time for livestock prices if we're in the beginning, early stages of a phase transition higher for feed prices. It's going to be a difficult time for – it doesn't mean you're not going to have rallies from time to time, but it's not going to be a very exciting, dynamic time for 
for livestock prices simply because inevitably the livestock producer never buys enough feed. He gets caught having to chase feed prices higher and then he has no choice but to liquidate instead of feeding, feeding these animals. And it just adds extra supply that's not needed. And I'm not really excited about, you know, the, the global or U.S. economy next year. I still think we have a lot of problems we have to work through. And, and beef is just not a cheap item to put on the table for your family right now. It just isn't. So, yep. you know, I, like I said, I mean, we've been bearish correctly. Uh, it's been coming down and, you know, we still think it could probably come a little lower, but we're just not excited about it. You know, I just think um, you're in a market that you're just going to have to try to look for rallies to, uh, to sell during this period of, of a rapid grain market increase. Um, you'll get your day, you know, you'll get your dynamic time to, to do really, really well, but it'll be, two years after the next two years, if you follow what I'm saying, you know, it'll be after this big surge in grains are over and they come crashing down and then they'll have their data mm-hmm. to really do well. So, you know, unfortunately that's kind of where we see it. And we think the hog market, you know, we, we had been very constructive, the hog market, but remember the big thing for hogs, Casey, is we know that the Chinese are rapidly, rapidly growing the hog herd again. Yeah, they are. They're, yeah. they're using, consuming tons of corn, <clears throat> tons of bean meal, tons of feed, um, those supplies will be available next, uh, the back half of next year. And they're going to be massive. And so all of a sudden, the exports that we've been uh, afforded, I mean, the U.S. has been able to ship so much meat out, um, it's going to kind of close up. That gap's going to really narrow. And um, we're not going to have the domestic demand to fill in the gap when that happens. And so you have to really think of the hog market beyond just the feed price issue is this is the last hurrah, this last set of buying by the Chinese ahead of their uh, February, March holiday season where they tend to stock up on their pork supplies. This is kind of the final push for export demand from the U.S. to China before I think they start backing away. And, you know, I'm not saying they will still be buyers, but not at the blistering pace that they have. And we need them to be there considering how many animals we have out there that will that continue to uh, – to need to come to the market. And the biggest concerning thing for us is the animal weights, the population of very heavy uh, hog weights is just, the, the, the growth rate is enormous. I mean, just it just is unprecedented to see that kind of increase in heavy weighted hog animals. And so that's extra supply we don't normally have. So unfortunately, I think that uh, this upper 60, 70 cent area on the, um, on the December contract, you know, is, going to be pretty tough for the market to work through that given you know given that i i think that most of the rally that we had been looking forward to from the 50 cent area when we were on your program talking about being optimistic about price we think most of that price rise is behind us and and so it's you know this is not this is a price level the hog producers can do okay with versus 50 cents you know right right well good stuff as usual sean if uh folks want to reach out to you and ask you some questions about what's going on uh, in the marketplace or just get your opinion about things or just check out what, uh, what you have to offer there at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do it? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of information on there for them to take a look at to see if our approach might be of value to, uh, uh, to your listeners. I also uh, I mentioned last week that um, I was going to do this Real Vision interview um, mm-hmm. on, uh, on our climate work, which I did uh, – sent to you um so uh, you know you might want you know, that might be something for your listeners to to kind of 
check out if they have an interest in this topic. It's uh, it's an hour and 10 minute long <laughs> question and answer interview. So it's not for the uh, person that's trying to uh, do a quick, uh, a quick view on the read, but if you're really into this uh, subject matter, I think it dovetails with a lot of the things we've done with, on your programs. And so, yeah, that might be something for people to want to check out. So well, right on. Yeah. I'll link to that and get that out to everybody. Uh, look for that uh, here this week. I'll have that out for everyone to take a look at. So I appreciate that, Sean. And uh, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, any blogs that I put out as well will show up there. Check out movingironllc.com for all the latest news about the Moving Iron Summit. That is uh, scheduled to go January 20th through the 22nd in Nashville, Tennessee at the Renaissance Hotel downtown. Sean will be there, and he'll be giving the same climate speech um, and answering some questions there. So a lot of good information there to kind of kind of wrap up what we're talking about here uh, we talk about here on the uh, podcast every thursday um so uh sean will be there and there'll be some other great speakers as well also check out the global ag network and the great podcasters there so with that i am casey seymour sean hackett let's go move some iron folks out in the 21st century Find us here Move